Today is Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. Got another two for four you today. Recurring guest, Super Bowl 50 champion, left tackle, Ryan Harris from the Broncos, who's also the color radio analyst for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Awesome chat with him, talking Broncos, talking Drew Locke, talking the whole situation with Jawan James, getting his take on that. Then we check back in with Dan Lusk, uh, attorney at law from Garagos and Garagos in New York, who's also now a uh, professor of sports law at NY Law, kind of checking in with the whole Deshaun Watson situation with some of the rumors with settlements, but there's no settlements, but there's settlements, but there's no settlements, kind of just taking a, taking a look at everything, some of the rumored potential trades to see if any of that's going to work. And we'll just kind of just going from there. It's all kind of hit or miss right now. And I guess we're just going to have to wait. As always, make sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts, as well as to follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at UFR Podcast. The first night of the NBA sort of playoffs just wrapped up. The Boston Celtics defeated the Washington Wizards in the 7-8 matchup, 118-100. to Jason Tatum had 50 points. Kevin Walker was exceptional. Robert Williams went down early, aggravating a turf toe injury, and Evan Fournier was good all around, solid outing from Boston, given the circumstances. Um, on the Wizards' side, Bradley Beal still clearly hampered by that hamstring injury. Something's going on with Russell Westbrook. He did not look like a locomotive tonight. Really didn't hear Rui Hachimura's name called off too much um, at all, and uh, Davis Bertans got kind of got flicked in the Adam's apple, and I was nervous. Um, the Wizards will play the Indiana Pacers on Thursday night, and the winner of that matchup will face the Philadelphia 76ers in the 1-8 seeding in the first round. And the loser, their season's over. So hopefully the Wizards have a, they get another, uh, they get four more games at least after, if they can pull off the, uh, pull off the upset on Thursday. But if not, it was a great season. It was a great season. We don't know who the coach is going to be next year. Um, we don't know who really is going to be around the team next year. Russell Westbrook will probably still be there because I doubt they're getting rid of that contract. Will this finally be the nail in the coffin? Will Bradley Beal finally say, you know what? Get me out of here. I don't know. We're going to see. We're going to have to find out. It was great for some sort of kind of playoff basketball. The real playoffs start on Sunday. Boston's in. Will the Wizards be? We don't know yet. We're going to have to find out. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Harris. guest is a Super Bowl champion, a former NFL offensive lineman, an author, a radio analyst, and according to his Twitter, a surfer. Is that true? Ladies and hey, gentlemen, hey. Ryan Harris. Ryan, is everything going for you? Hang 10, brother. I'm going to hit the surf uh, in the first week of June. Things are going good, Zach. Good to be with you, brother. Cool. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. How, how's your offseason going so far? No football, but we got some basketball still going on. Playoffs coming up. Well, what have been your thoughts on the draft and free agency as a whole? Yeah, you know, the draft was fun to watch, fun to see players in person, you know, get that call, uh, you know, a little less of the drunk uncles in the videos, you know, than two years ago, not enough phone snatching for me, but, 
you know, some teams making strong statements. Um, you know, I think Jacksonville had a good draft. I thought the Jets had a good draft, Detroit. And, and I really thought the Denver Broncos had an excellent draft as well. What were your thoughts on the whole Aaron Rodgers drama storyline or tie, linking to the Broncos, basically the entire first day of the draft? Well, you know, I had sources that told me that the ask was for three first-round picks, and then I had some sources uh, at, in Green Bay tell me that even if they got the, the picks, that they weren't ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers yet. So that actually might happen, though, uh, after June 1st. One of the little things that's just out there doesn't mean a lot, but the fact that you can't customize a Denver Broncos number 12 Aaron Rodgers jersey is interesting on NFL.com. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Also, after the June 1st designation, some of that guaranteed money splits a little bit. Um, but I'd expect to see Aaron Rodgers, if not this year, next year with the Denver Broncos after a lot of that guaranteed money falls off for the Packers. Do you think that the Patrick Sertan pick was made for the Packers? No, that Patrick Sertan no. pick was made for Vic Fangio. Uh, that was made to help the Broncos win this year. Um, and, 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 and when you have a struggling offense, the answer to keep you competitive is to build your defense. And Vic Fangio's only had Bradley Chubb and Von Miller on the same field for four games as he's been a head coach going into now his third year as a Denver Broncos. So uh, Denver Broncos head coach. So there are a lot of things, but I'll tell you something, Zach. Baron Browning, the linebacker out of Ohio State, drafted in the third round. This kid could be a steal of the draft type player. He's incredibly talented. At, he's, he, he wants to be known as a technician. And one of the things when you watch film, he can play all the positions he can cover. He has tremendous speed and tackling ability. And because he was asked to do so much in Ohio State, I really think he's going to shine at, at, for the Broncos because he's going to be asked to do one thing. The first time in his career in rookie camp, he played one position. And he said that lets him get down to the deep details of what makes that position great. So you put Patrick Sertan with uh, Baron Browning. Those two are going to make a huge impact, not to mention later on, they got a corner from LSU who's won a national championship. So a lot of experience, a couple of national champions. You could do a lot worse than seven picks. And that's what I want to ask you. So the, the most recent storyline has been going on with the Denver Broncos is not a positive one. Um, right tackle Jawan James was practicing away from the facility, unfortunately had a severe injury, and it is now no longer with the team. Can you give your thoughts on that? It's unfortunate. You know, Jawan James, I thought, was a hell of a player, you know, before his really two injuries over the last three years with the Broncos. He opted out of his deal last year because he had the birth of his son. Um, and so you, you respect those decisions made by players. Uh, but this was the risk all, the, all along of working out away from the facility. And the issue is going to be whether the Broncos and the NFLPA are going to have to pay some portion of that salary because, you know, Juwan James is doing what the NFLPA advised. And uh, do they have something to pay for that? You know, in hindsight, the NFLPA should have provided insurance for all the players uh, regarding their current contract and what they would make telling players to stay home. And I'm not sure a decision's backfired on the NFLPA like this one in a long time, because everyone, whether you're vaccinated or not, is trying to get, you know, past this COVID and please get vaccinated. Right. Yeah. But, you know, you also see now that decision, Hey, we don't want to come in because of COVID. Well, a lot of the country is opening up and a lot of the restrictions are being lifted. So it just doesn't have the same genuine feel in which anybody associated with the NFL and NFLPA knew this was a bargaining tactic in response to 17 games, setting the salary cap before signing a $111 billion television deal. Yeah. So this, uh, you know, these, ga these games of politics and, and different things have now costed players millions of dollars. What did teams tell you? I know you played for a couple different teams when you were signing with them in terms of 
practicing and kind of like the kind of like the, the the details on if you're practicing away from the facility is this a standard thing or is this kind of just in the kind of like a, in, in between the lines that they kind of took well typically of? when you're training if you get an injury when you're training away from this the, the the field if you're not doing if you're doing it when there are no organized team activities right so if you're doing it in February and you get injured typically teams are a lot more forgiving right or if you're doing something in the off season but when you're supposed to be in the building and you're training somewhere else, well, that's where you really open yourself up to that clause in the contract that says, hey, if you're, we're doing organized team activities, you weren't there, so you were not taking part in the football activities, we don't have to pay you. And so that's where, the, that's where that kind of bridge starts changing. And look out for coaches to use this as an excuse if there's poor performance in the beginning of the season. Hey, we wish we could be better, but we, we had a lot of time taken from us uh, in, the, in the beginning of the season because you know, players didn't show up. Do you think guys in the future will start putting clauses in their contract about avoiding this should it happen? Teams won't allow that. They Teams won't do will it? not allow no, that because, be, uh, Zach, I mean, you, you forgot what you would like if you were given a million dollars at 22. You know, there are things that you have to protect yeah. yourself from if you're, a, if you're an organization, and uh, teams will never allow a player to waive that. That's why players will continue to try and get guaranteed contracts. Yeah. One of the best things about Patrick Mahomes' contract, whether the $500 million is real or not, yeah. One of the pieces of his deal is that every year they have to they have to agree to the guaranteed money two years out yeah. from his contract. So so immediately when he signed it, I believe in uh, what was it 2021 or 2020, yeah. they already they already guaranteed his 22 salary, and then last year his 23 salary. So that's what you're going to see players do a lot more of, so that if there is an injury, that following season is guaranteed money. What, what did you think of some of the guys in the draft, some of the offensive tackle and offense, just offensive lineman prospects all, any of the fits you liked? I couldn't believe how, how low Slater went um, and him going to Los Angeles Chargers. I thought that was a great pick. Um, and Quinn Miners here came to, came to the Broncos. I like that pick. You know, he trains with tree logs and different things like that. So you got to love a guy who can do those things. So, I mean, there are a couple of head scratchers, but uh, overall, you know, it's fun to see three linemen from, from the University of Notre Dame get drafted and, and continue our O-line U tradition. Are there any other Notre Dame guys outside of offensive linemen, outside of offensive linemen that you like the fits where they land? Well, I like Ian Book in New Orleans. I think that's a very interesting, you know, uh, draft pick. I think he'll be successful there. Jeremiah Wusukormo at the Browns is going to make a good team great. Um, he's, a, he's a player that is as dynamic as you could find in, in college football, won the Buckus Award for the best linebacker. So, those two players, I think, will find success as well. Have you seen any? I, I'm in D.C. They got uh, Samuel Cosme from Texas. Have you watched any of his tape at all? I have not, but I'll tell you, Texas guys, uh, I mean, and, and, and people give me flack for this all the time, but, you know, Texas has had five great players in the history of its program. And it's not just me who believes this. I mean, this is a, this is a, uh, a known kind of perception of Texas players is that they never outperform their 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 potential. And, you know, there's something about them that when they leave sixth street in Austin, they just don't find the same success in the NFL. So uh, it's tough. And, and I hope for the best for him and he can overcome that, but Texas does not have a great track record and longevity or, and performance with NFL players outside of Earl Campbell, Jamal Williams, Bo Scaife and, and a couple others. Yeah. Colt McCoy. Oh, so I want to ask you to go the back fact to the that you say that proves everything I just said about Texas. I mean, so Texas is not back in your opinion, not back yet. Soon, soon they'll be back. Hey, I, I, I really want every young man to be successful in the NFL gets drafted. 
but there's a perception that's proven true if you look at the history of Texas uh, Texas um, football. It's not like Notre Dame, who's got the record now for the most players drafted in uh, college football program history. So you know, I don't know that. That's interesting. I don't know that. And so so going going back to the Broncos. So, you, so Drew Locke obviously his his career hasn't really gotten off to the start he I guess envisioned. Are you expecting a monster season, or what do you think he's going to do? You know, Drew Locke got caught in the college mentality. You know. Uh, he, he thought that he had time to develop and, and he's realized now that's not true in the NFL. You know, uh, one of the things he said after, after last year in, in which he almost threw as many touchdowns as interceptions, he said he was comfortable in the offense. That's not a comfortable, that's not a thing you ever want to say out loud. And that's not even a mentality you want to have at all as an NFL player of comfort. And he played like it. He didn't improve. He didn't listen to the coaching points week after week that he told us he was getting. And especially when you look at that second game last year, uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs, you throw two picks and you lose a game by four points, 22 to six or six points, 22 to 16. I mean, that's that's the game you're supposed to win to claim your spot in the NFL. He didn't do that. And Vic Fangio has already said that reps will be split 50-50 between him and Teddy Bridgewater. And uh, now I believe Drew Locke will really understand what competition is in the NFL, unfortunately, for the first time in his NFL career. And I wanted to ask you before I let you go, obviously some of the biggest news in the past couple of weeks, um, Tim Tebow's on the verge of potentially uh, landing on the Jags roster. What are your thoughts on his, his hiatus and his chances of making the team? I love Tim Tebow. I played with him. Uh, there's not a more dynamic, exciting player to be in the huddle with, um, you know, and, and the best thing that I can that I tell people about Tim Tebow is he is who he says he is. You know, he is genuine. Um, he really does back up his personal life uh, with what he, what he, what you see in public. And you know, I'm thrilled for Tim Tebow that he's gotten an opportunity to pair up with his college coach and really to take a lot of pressure off of Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you've heard more about Tim Tebow in baseball than you have Trevor Lawrence in, in rookie minicamp. So, I mean, that's the effect that Tim Tebow has. I will also point out the incredible inconsistencies we have as sports fans, to where we are all excited, myself included. For, for Tim Tebow to, to get a shot at playing a position he's never played in high school, college, or the NFL. And yet, when I say the same things, you know, four or five years ago about another player who yeah. was out of the NFL wanting to play the position that he played and was successful yeah. in and played a Super Bowl in, you know, for some reason, we can't allow that. It takes nothing from our personal lives to encourage and be happy for someone's opportunities. We need to be more consistent as sports fans in doing that, no matter what the player's beliefs or actions are, provided that they are legal. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that wild story about the guy who's trying out for the Falcons yesterday. Did you, did you see her about oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I saw a who little does, bit of who it. Who does that? Apparently, yeah. somebody with an Atlanta area code reached out to the guy and pretended to be the defensive coordinator, and he got there like we know who you are. Apparently, yeah. he is getting a shot somewhere. So, but that like it's it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and I don't before, know why we'd be against opportunity for anybody. No, no. You know, again, provided that their actions have been all legal and and uh, and have not hurt anybody. Yeah, before I let you get to one last question, do you have any bold predictions for this upcoming season or guys you think might take the, take the next step? I think the Steelers are going to win the AFC. I really think when you add Najee Harris to the to the Steelers um, to the Steelers, that's going to bring take a lot of pressure off of Ben Roethlisberger. Juju Smith Schuster staying is going to be great, and of course uh, Chase Claypool, Notre Dame graduate, is going to continue to grind and rise as Notre Dame athletes do in the NFL. Awesome. Awesome. Well, always a pleasure having you on. Um, how can people f uh, find you on social media and keep up with you and everything you got going on? Yeah. Search me, Ryan Harris on Twitter, uh, Instagram at Ryan Harris underscore 68 or check out my website, RyanHarris68.com. Awesome, man. Well, always a pleasure. Do appreciate it. Can't wait until the season starts up. We got uh, training camp coming up in about, what, a month and a half. So can't wait. And it's always a pleasure. Do appreciate it. Thanks, Zach.
My next guest is an attorney at Garagos and Garagos, as well as a sports law professor at NYU, NY Law, NY Law, NY Law. New York, New York Law School. New York Law School. New York Law School. We got Dan Lust, Esquire, professor. Dan, is everything going for you? It's good. I just had so many titles now. I just don't know what to do with them. Yeah, it's like, a, like a, what do you call it, from Game of Thrones uh, with, the, with the dragons. Um, uh, Daenerys Targaryen, you're like, you, you have more of a legal background. I'm the mother of dragons of sports, yeah. so I will take yeah. that. I yeah. will take yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, we, so we have some more um, kind of updates on the whole Deshaun Watson situation I cut, we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, really hasn't really been much from either side, either from the Harden side or from Tony Busby, but there has been some rumors of settlements, but on that Watson's camp has said, we haven't said anything. What have been your take on kind of these developments? Yeah, so on the, on the one hand, there has been no developments. And then, uh, you know, we had a fun day last week where all of a sudden both sides kind of perked up and they said, well, uh, on the one hand, Busby said, you know, uh, Harden side approached us for settlement. And then Harden said, well, that's not true. You guys approached us for settlement. So, um, yeah, uh, we, we basically went almost a month with no updates, substantive updates in the case. And then instead of really an update, we have Tony Busby and Rusty Harden both coming forward, alleging that the other one approached and tried to initiate settlement talks, but either way that they broke down. The, the substantive update, um, you know, if, if you want to call it that, was from Tony Busby, who acknowledged that his clients, you know, I, think he, I think he said eight clients have already met with the police department and four of his clients have met with the NFL as part of their, uh, you know, there's these dual investigations. So, uh, there is a substantive update. It's that these investigations are going forward, that the police and the NFL are both interested in exploring these claims. Are you surprised he's still not at the exempt list? Yes and no. Um, I, I think they have enough right now to put him on the exempt list. I don't think they're in any hurry because, you know, training camp is just getting started up. We're not really that close to uh, any of the preseason games or obviously week one. So they're not in any real rush to do it. I think if they wanted to send a message, they could have. Um, but I, I think what probably is holding them back, if the police uh, and the DA's office over in Harris County come forward with criminal charges, the NFL really doesn't have an option. They have to put him on some type of uh, exemplus or, or maybe even, uh, if timing is right, issue a formal suspension uh, at that point in time. And if the police have announced that they're coming forward with criminal charges and the DA's office is signing on to that, I mean, who can really fault the NFL? Um, so. If that occurs, the NFL has a pretty easy decision on their hands. So I think the NFL, probably from a PR perspective, from a grievance perspective, is trying to wait as long as they can for the police department slash DA's office to bail them out with, with criminal charges. And Zach, if that doesn't happen, then it's going to be a really hard decision for the NFL. Because I'm not sure if the last time we spoke, it was before or after uh, the first the first victim came forward. I'm not 100% certain the time, my time was going to mess mixed up. Um, but after that, I know there was a lot of, kind of a lot of backlash, but, but still really no criminal charges. It, is, is the, as long as this has been taking, is that a surprise to you? Or do you think they're just still, they're still doing uh, kind of, uh, uh, what do you call it, accumulating evidence? Um, so I think, you know, when, when we got these first allegations, I think right at the beginning of uh, April, maybe there was yeah. some sniff of this, maybe the first week of April, end of May, or sorry, end of March. Um, what people kind of need to keep into or keep remembering, the police haven't had this case from day one. They got this case, we'll say a couple of weeks in, and that's when Tony Busby, his client, decided to cooperate with police for the first time and, and speak to them. 
So for whatever reason, maybe it was strategic, I'm not sure. Busby wasn't having his clients speak to any police departments, hadn't filed police reports or anything like that. So the police haven't had this the entire time. Um, police aren't gonna rush this by, by any means. Um, so yeah, I, I think with a high profile case, they're gonna be working harder in this case is gonna get a priority in terms of an investigation. Um, not that shocking that we haven't had criminal charges yet, but on the overall landscape, right, you have 20 different women who allegedly don't know each other at all, and there's no connection between them, and they all have relatively similar stories. Taking that at face value, you put that in a vacuum, those are the type of cases that the police department usually picks up. We'll see if there's a, you know, a, they stray from the trends here, but, you know, again, assuming all those people don't know each other, and they have similar allegations without knowing each other, it's usually a sign in favor of the police department, DA's office taking this case. Are you surprised that no more cases have really come forward since that inundation a couple of weeks ago? Yes, actually, I, I am very surprised at that. Um, I, I don't, I can't really make sense, but we went from one to two to six to 12 uh, to 20, and then they stopped, um, which doesn't necessarily add up. Maybe it just means that uh, people want to see other shakes out. I think the one thing that changed that maybe cut off this, uh, we'll say uh, windfall, these uh, 20 plus alleged victims had to come forward with their names. They couldn't hide behind a complaint that said they, they were anonymous. So first 20 came out and they said, hey, we're anonymous, we're filing, you know, we're filing these, these charges, but we don't have to give our name. That might have quelled and made it, might have scared some people not to bring cases that they otherwise would have been. But by no means is this the end. There's still people that could come forward. But I, I you know, just with the way the trends were, were moving up and obviously Watson side said that he had another, right, 20 some odd masseuses that were willing to speak in his favor. So. You're in a vicinity of 40 plus masseuses. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised that no additional uh, individuals came forward. Not say again, it's not going to happen, but surprised it hasn't happened yet. I haven't taken a look at all the individual cases, but they're all in a pretty like a couple of year time frame, if I'm, if I'm wrong. Are you surprised that no one's come forward from years ago that maybe like, oh, this, this would happen in high school? Is that a surprise to you? I don't know. I mean, I think all, all we know, and, and you're right, it's about, it's about a year, it's from March of 2020 to March of 2021. Yeah. Right around when he got the big contract. Well, it's also right around when the pandemic started, right? When, right yeah. around when his schedule got kind of thrown to flux. I remember reading uh, a report again, and you take everything with the grain of salt, but that the pandemic kind of threw his schedule into flux. So we had a normal uh, crew of people he normally used, or maybe it was Texans people, maybe it was his own private, private masseuses that he used. I believe some of the masseuses that came out uh, that are willing to speak in, in favor of him and support of him were also masseuses that occurred, you know, uh, prior to the, that worked with him prior to the pandemic. So, you know, truthfully, nothing surprises me at this point um, in the case with respect to these allegations. They, they mushroomed up to 20 and, you know, we kind of stuck there. Uh, I, I would find it, um, again, take again, take it with a grain of salt, but like, this is all, I mean, all these allegations occur in a one year period. If this is this rampant and these allegations occurred almost, you know, essentially more than once a month, would it be odd that they had never occurred at any point in time before March of 2020? Maybe atypical. I don't know if I'd be surprised again by anything, but it would seem to be strange if it was this really neat window of March of 2020 to March of 2021. Um, possible, of course, but seemingly atypical of, of cases like this. In terms of uh, hypothetical suspensions, what type of cases that have been brought to the commissioner's office in the past that are kind of maybe not not 100% similar to this, but relatively in that same ballpark, what kind of suspensions have those maybe have they handed out for that? I mean, there's no cases that really model this in any way, shape or form. Um, this is a case that's not necessarily 
uh, as much, I, I mean, you can make the, the case, right? Quality versus quantity. You know, we, I don't really think we know enough about these allegations to say whether they are quality allegations. We just know that there's quantity, there's 20 individuals. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any precedent that we can, we can set by this for any means. I mean, Antonio Brown got hit with a suspension uh, for his uh, assault on a delivery truck driver, uh, which was a criminal case. Uh, we don't have a criminal case yet. And as far as, uh, as far as we're concerned, Antonio Brown didn't get hit with the suspension from his now recently settled sexual assault case. So that's, that's probably the most similar once we get a, a, some kind of punishment or discipline rendered on that front. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's really any guide to tell us wh where we can go with this. I don't, I think it's anyone's guess. When you have 20 cases, right? Let's say, let's say one case, maybe could have issued in a, resulted in a one game suspension or two game suspension. You have 20, right? Does the NFL kind of view this all as one single transaction or do they view it and multiply it out? In which case, I don't know, the 10 plus game suspension is not necessarily off the table. But uh, Zach, you know, we were talking about it offline. I keep hearing the rumors that you're hearing that the trade market is not dead for Deshaun Watson. So obviously there are people inside the NFL that don't think that that lengthy of a suspension is, is coming. And speaking of the trade market, so hypothetical, let's say he is moved. And then let's say another witness comes forward, the criminal charge. Would the team, would the trade be rescinded? Would the team just kind of be stuck with the bad contract and potentially a player that would never suit up with them? How would that work? So this is the joke I tell on, on Twitter, Zach, which, uh, you know, I, I know you're a follower of mine on Twitter. It's almost like the assumption of the risk, right? You trade for a guy who's impending, right? He's probably going to, I don't want to say probably, but there's a, a high likelihood that the guy can get hit with criminal charges. And you make a trade under, under those conditions. You're almost, I think, knowingly, right? You're trading for a distressed asset. And what comes of it, you know, you kind of assume that risk. If Deshaun wants to get suspended for the entire year, hey, you, you made the trade knowing that risk. And you're obviously getting somewhat of a depreciated price for a guy who's a top five NFL quarterback. Um, you know, there was packages on the table, I think, for Russell Wilson, which were three first round picks, uh, if you believe the reports, to, in order to go to the Chicago Bears once upon a time. I don't know if Watson will command that type of a premium package. I would be very surprised if he did. And then if he does, you know, get some type of uh, lengthy suspension or, or some type of uh, plea deal in, in a criminal court, I mean, he's obviously going to be missing time, but you deal with that. You'll deal with the PR hit and you'll deal with the missed games. And, and yeah, that's that's the risk that you bear by trading for someone that's dealing with these types of allegations. So there's no type of like comparison. I know of a lot of times maybe if you trade for a guy and an injury pops up on the when they get the their physical, you could potentially void it. There's nothing for legal wise, legal for legal situations like this, criminal or um, what's the other term? Uh, civil, civil, criminal or civil. You, you're, you're taking that gamble. There's no way they can be avoided. I mean, like just you and I are big sports fans. How many trades in the history and that, that you and I know have been rescinded, right? Like the Chris Paul trade once upon a time, it was a trade with the uh, San Diego Padres, yeah. with the Marlins, with the, they didn't reveal some type of injury that was hidden behind the scenes. The Celtics the Cavs, the Celtics Cavs a couple of years ago, the Isaiah Thomas, I remember they, Cleveland wanted more compensation because they found out his hip was worse right. than they previously said and they threatened to pull back. Right. Nothing legal wise. I mean, but as long as everything's out on the table, I, I don't really have an issue with it. But what I probably would have had an issue with, if the Texans had traded Deshaun Watson at a, at a point where they knew about the allegations and no one else knew about them, that's a little fishy, right? That's similar. Uh, AJ Preller had this, uh, these allegations that occurred when he was with, when he was the San Diego Padres GM early on, where he made a trade. I think the guy was Colin Ray, who was a pitcher. I think it was the Marlins, if I'm remembering. But he didn't disclose something he knew. Um, about uh, the pitcher's injury history. And then there was, uh, I believe, some punishment that came down from Major League Baseball. 
So as long as you're dealing with an open hand, right, and everyone knows what the deal is, and you, you're obviously dealing with a, you know, a distressed asset, and it's very clear that you're getting a bargain price or a lesser price, I, I don't really see anything wrong with it. As long as everyone's on the same page of what's going to happen or what could potentially happen, I don't, I don't really see a problem with it. Is his guaranteed money voidable if he is charged? Yeah, if it, you know, always if you have conduct detrimental, uh, which is uh, apropos of the name of our podcast, you have conduct detrimental to the team or to the league, your, your salary is potentially voidable. Um, but I think we're a little too premature here. Right now, it's just these civil, these civil cases. So, um, you know, as I, as I try to tell everyone on this, uh, you know, in this case at least, there is no bar to the courthouse step. Civil case doesn't really mean anything. Zach, I could, I could sue you for copying my haircut over here. I, I could sue you for that. I don't know if uh, I collect anything, but I could sue you for it. And just because you were defended in a civil lawsuit really means very little. But if the DA's office hits you with criminal charges, a separate entity decides to hit you with criminal charges, and then you're a criminal defendant, that carries a lot more weight. And that, that, that usually, uh, as, we've, as we've seen in NFL history, usually results in a suspension, usually results in some years being voided off your contract, um, just like we saw in the Michael Vick situation once upon a time. So, yeah, that, that's when the, the charges get ratcheted up. Uh, if, if and when a, a DA's office or police department does decide to give that the stamp of approval. Are, are, you, are you surprised that um, the, the, the Tony Busby kind of came out with a very aggressive approach on social media and kind of blowing everything up and then kind of went silent? You figured he'd just kind of keep elevating and kind of make get, get the profile larger and make the story bigger. Are you surprised he kind of just really haven't heard from him? Uh, the... Uh, I, well, I said earlier, nothing surprises me in this case. So yeah. nothing does not surprise me. Um, Tony Busby came in kind of guns a blazing. And yeah. Why a plaintiff's attorney would do that for the most part is to draw up a lot of interest in the case and then create a lot of leverage to potentially work a settlement. Because if you have all these eyeballs on the case, you want the case to go away. And, you know, it's going to help a little bit by creating a circus. So in my view, at my thousand degree level, one of two things likely happened. Number one, which is what I, you know, I think what both sides are kind of acknowledging that they were working on settlement and they agreed to some type of uh, peace treaty, we'll say, as they worked on settlement, which I think is probably what happened. Um, could he also be a little bit of number two? Number two is uh, who Tony Busby, who was driving this media circus, driving the, driving the train. It's possible, I don't know, I mean, we haven't heard any reports of it, but that the police department kind of said to him, hey, Tony, we're working in this investigation. You've been kind of uh, you know, outspoken on this case. Maybe take a back seat for a little bit while we work on this investigation. We don't want the public to be influenced by your comments. Why don't you take a back seat and let us just work the case for the next couple of weeks, next couple of months? And Busby, you know, the police can be your best friend in these cases because their investigation can only help your civil case. So, I mean, they're acknowledging it was one. I think it's also possible a little bit of number two that somebody got in his ear and said, "Hey, Tony, calm down a little bit, uh, and let's not either a poison the jury pool or b, uh, you know." Um, uh, you know, root our investigation. Are you expecting a settlement anytime soon? Me personally, no, I am not. Um, I know there are, are people that are keyed into the NFL world uh, that, that said a, a large global settlement was in the works. Um, I, I just find it, uh, I mean, maybe best intentions, everyone's working on it. But keep in mind, like, this is not a class action lawsuit. Tony Busby doesn't get to decide when all the cases are settled. These are 20 plus different lawsuits with 20 plus different accusers, right? Alleged, alleged victims, all have different sensibilities. There might be one Zach, for example, that right, like, and this is a complete hypothetical, but it'll, it'll make the point. Let's say one is independently wealthy and she's a billionaire, right? And she doesn't need any money 
and she just wants to make an example out of Deshaun Watson. That could be one plaintiff. But the other side of the spectrum could have someone that's really struggling to make ends meet and is struggling with rent checks. One of those people is really going to want to settle a case and get a payday. The other one is not. The other one's not going to care. So in, in these cases, you have to figure out who your clients are. And Tony Busby has, I'm sure, 20 different personalities he's dealing with. And not all of them are going to want to settle. Not all of them are going to want to settle for the same price. So sure, would Deshaun Watson like to cut one check and let the, the victims, you know, the alleged victims all cut it up and split it 20 ways? Sure. That's not how it works. So as long as one case exists, as long as one case survives settlement, Watson's going to be under fire. And uh, I don't I don't see all 20 cases getting settled. I'd be I'd be very surprised if they did. But, uh, you know, again, it's the, the theme of our episode, Zach. Nothing will surprise me in this case. Um, so it, let's say a couple of them get settled or a couple of them disappear, a couple of them get cleared off. Maybe they say, all right, these aren't, we don't really have anything for them. Uh, let's say he has a suspension that goes through. Let's say he gets eight, eight games. Let's say the eight games go through and he still has some of these cases still ongoing. Would they, would he be allowed to play even while these are kind of lingering in the background? I mean, the short answer is like, I don't know it depends what Goodell wants to do. Do you want to have a guy in the field with these allegations looming over his head? I mean, they let Antonio Brown play with his sexual assault case looming in the background, a civil sexual assault case. Sounds a lot similar, except it's one, it's not 20. So yeah, is it possible he plays with this hanging over his head? It is because we just saw Antonio Brown do it. That Antonio Brown case settled. There was no admission of guilt on Brown's part. Um, I just, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't wanna say what's worse than the other, right? Antonio Brown with his one case, which is the case of a, you know, alleged, alleged rape. I mean, these are, yeah forcible touching there. It's, it's in the same category of, of disgusting the allegations, but um, you know, could, could the NFL want, want Watson to play one of their stars? I just, I wouldn't think so. You're asking me to make a prediction. I, I don't think they'd let him play with those many allegations pending. I mean, even if he takes it the field and he, and he cuts a check, right? The optics, Zach, I mean, whether it's true or not, not if good. you settle if you settle the case, yeah, some people in the world are going to view that as being an admission of guilt. I do not. That's not what the legal profession is. Sometimes you cut a check on a cost-benefit analysis. Even if you are not guilty and you're not culpable, you might want to settle a case. The public's not going to view it like that. So, yeah, I think the NFL is going to be harder. They're going to be, well, they're going to be in a really tough position uh, if there are no criminal charges here. And uh, they're going to make, a, make some people unhappy one way or the other. So the Texans selected a quarterback in, I think it was day two, might have been, I think it was round three, might have been Davis Mills from Stanford. Um, do you think that's just an insurance policy? Or do you think that means that they really have no idea how this is going? I think it's a very, uh, it's a telling move. Um, the sports fan of me thinks that's very strange. You finished four and 12 last year. Quarterback was not your biggest problem. And your first pick of the draft, it wasn't around first or second round pick because the Texans, uh, as you and I, Zach, both know, they fungled their draft picks and, and trades over the years. Um, your first well, they got, the they draft, got, they got David Johnson. So like that, that box yeah. is checked off. Yeah. David Johnson. He's, he's fantastic. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, uh, I think that is sending a message, so to speak. I don't think Davis Mills is going to be ready to play week one. I don't think that's the type of quarterback they're investing in, but I don't know you, you have a team with, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll say we'll make up a number, right? 10 holes to fill. The, the number, the top 10 on that list is not quarterback. I'd say that's the last hole you need to fill if you have a healthy Deshaun Watson. And mind you, in December, the Texans policy and their protocol on this is, hey, we're not trading the guy. Too, tough luck. We're not trading you. Right? You want to believe all the reports? We're not trading him. And, you know, you can be as unhappy as you want. We're not, we're not, we're not sending you out of town. So they went from that, right? we're not trading you, to drafting your quarterback. 
So do they expect Watson to hold out? I mean, maybe that's even the more interesting question. Is Watson, if he's not suspended, is he still planning to hold out on top of all this until he demands a trade? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, as they say, you know, you get a, a certain point, you just got to sit back and grab your popcorn. When this, when, when we start to get more news about this, either a settlement or anything else, are you expecting like the NFL insiders to be, to be kind of in on this information? Or do you think they're as outside of this box as we are? Do you think it's all the police and the legal department of the Texans? Or do you think anybody else is kind of in on this? Well, Rich Eisen was the guy who had the report last week that said that uh, during the NFL draft, he heard that a global settlement was in the works. And a global settlement is a fancy way to say all of the cases, not, not five, not six, all of them. So Rich Eisen is an insider. He works, you know, he's got a show in the, uh, I, think he, I think he was in the NFL Network, if he's not still in the he's NFL all Network. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's all over the place. Um, but yeah, that's an insider. And I imagine he was getting his information directly from uh, either the agent or the attorney for, uh, you know, for, for Watson, or maybe, maybe he has a connection with Busby. Um, that, that's why one would know about uh, settlement talks, whether criminal cases are going to be filed. That's a completely different source of knowledge. I don't, I don't think the NFL insiders will know anything the police are doing, but yeah, I mean, Watson, Watson has an agent who's I'm sure very plugged in. The agents are always one degree removed from the NFL insiders. So yeah, those guys would be in enough. Yeah, um, so that that's what the Watson question really have for you. Um, so I want to ask you one, one question. So you get you you got this course you're teaching in the fall. Are you going to be talking about Watson, or what, what kind of stuff do you have in mind that you're going to be kind of teaching your students? This is a great question. Um, the, the syllabus it's a good, it's going to be a cool syllabus. It's still very much in flux. I I when I took sports law back in the day, we took it as like. Uh, we took labor law and there was like a little basketball cases. Basically, it sounds pretty cool, Zach. Maybe you should go yeah. to law school. This is, this yeah, is I can be like, yeah, that's like one class. I can pass the bar with that one class, right? That's not how it works, but you know, yeah, it's yeah. fine. Kim, if Kim Kardashian can pass the bar up in California, yeah. I feel like anybody can pass yeah. the bar. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, there's two ways to probably teach a class. You can teach it as like antitrust, labor law, um, and then whatever sports cases fall in that realm. I've kind of envisioned uh, doing something similar to this, picking a case study or picking a sport and then kind of dipping and dodging in there. So, uh, you know, right now we're dealing with the Major League Baseball has a $500 billion grievance filed by the Major League Baseball Players Association. I just think that's cool, right? Do I need to get into all the nuances of labor law? I can probably teach it to you through through one prism of one case. So I think probably cases are a cooler way to teach the class than subjects, but you know, it's a work in progress. I don't have to decide until June 21st. So I'm working on it up here. And then one last question for you. So I know all these states are kind of coming out with the um, name, name, image, and likeness. Um, are any of these athletes going to be seeing any money until it's across every state in the country? Or how, when is that going to start? July 1st. July really? 1st. July 1st. We're getting close. So five states have name, image, and likeness bills. That they and Maryland today. Them. I don't know if you saw that. Maryland passed for July 1st or Maryland passed in general? Maryland passed. I don't, I don't, know, I don't, I don't know a date, but apparently they're, they're, um, they're in the works. Oh, Zach, breaking news to me. I did not see that. Yeah. Um, well, let's pretend that Maryland doesn't exist. I believe there are five states that, that uh, have operative dates of July 1st. I think well, Maryland's July 1st, you had that to be number six, but there are other states. I think it's 13, between 13 and 15 total that have name image likeness rules that go into effect at some point. But uh, at least uh, when I woke up this morning, five went into effect on July 1st. So those are the dates where those states, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and New Mexico. Um, are, are going to be the only states as of July 1st that can pay their athletes. So, yeah, uh, that, that starts not going to get cut a check, but those athletes in those states can go out and, uh, you know, be marketers and, and hawk their own names. 
So are you expecting um, prospects to flock to those states until the other schools in those states until the other ones kind of get on board? I, I think so. I, I mean, if I, if I had a son or a daughter that was a yeah. high-level athlete, um, you know, we had a record number of people join the, the transfer portal in college football, college basketball, uh, all across the board. I mean, they're, they're doing it for a reason, right? And obviously, part of it is because they don't have to sit up that, that one year in the middle. The other part of it is that name, image, and likeness is on the horizon. And if you're a state that doesn't have any legislation in the works, might take two, three years to get there without some type of federal bill or uh, the NCAA coming through. I, I think it is uh, a, a good as reason of any to answer the transfer to enter the transfer portal and see if you can make a little, make a little, uh, you know, make some money for the last two years of your eligibility and something like that. You said it takes about two to three years to from from when they bring it up to for it to kind of kick in. Well, put it this way: we we've wanted sports betting, uh, sports betting in the state of New York for about five years, and we still don't. Five hundred really years. Five hundred. Five hundred years. But but yeah, they wanted to bet on it. jousting. They Bill De Blasio said no, not that happened. Right. Yeah. But but uh, yeah, the legislative wheel moves very slowly. So two to three years. Sometimes you know in this current climate, it's taken something like six months to a year. Uh, but it's not. It's, you know, some states are just very averse to it. You can imagine, like you know, a state like Utah. Like are they are so quick to pay their athletes. I. I'm not, I'm not sure, like compare a state like Utah to a state like California, right? One is much more, uh, we'll say, uh, innovative and, and at the front of the lines. And then, you know, other ones are more conservative and understandably so, but that's just the way the, the wheel of justice moves. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's really all the questions I really have for you. Uh, how can people follow you on social media and also check out and uh, sign up for your, for your class in the fall? So um, I'm at Sports Law Lust on Instagram and on Twitter. My podcast is Conduct Detrimental, all sports law topics. And uh, I don't know if my class is open outside of New York Law School, but if you are a okay. uh, law student and uh, you're interested in uh, sports law topics, we're probably going to be posting uh, a lot of fun stuff in my class. So stay tuned. Awesome, man. Well, it's always a pleasure. I do appreciate it. And uh, congratulations again on an awesome opportunity. Appreciate Thank it. you, Zach. Much appreciated.